You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. So good to be with you and worshiping with you today, as always. Uh, But the church, and that's what we are. When we sing this song about here we are again, and you think about it that, you know, seven days from now we repeat the same thing that we did in so many ways, except it's a different group of people because it's never exactly the same, and it's a different circumstance and a different situation, but the church continues to gather together in the name of Jesus. That's what the church is. The people of God gathered under the banner of his name to to glorify him, to be equipped and to be empowered to be the witnesses in the earth today as his body. And when the church is working and relating properly, it is a beautiful, diverse community of faith. That's what we are. That's what we're supposed to be. Last week, I was reminded again of the beauty of the body of Christ. And it's good to be reminded of that because the enemy likes to tell us the exact opposite You see, just as the enemy constantly lies to you about your own identity, lies to you about your own value, lies to you about your own worth, right? That's what the enemy does, that he whispers into our ears and making you believe things about yourself and about God that are untrue, particularly about your own identity, that you're you're a fake, you're weak, you're unwanted, or you're irrelevant. And he does the same thing, the enemy does the same thing to the church at large. You're fake, you're irrelevant. You're not beautiful at all. Not that we don't give him plenty of ammunition to work with, right? But he is the accuser of the brethren. That's who Satan is. He accuses the body of believers. And when we give him the things that is useful for those accusations, then he goes to work telling us all the things that we really aren't in Christ Jesus. We're the exact opposite. But he lies to us. But I love when I'm confronted with the beauty of the Lord through the loveliness of the bride, the church. And last weekend was one of those moments, as is pretty much every time we gather. But this way a little bit differently. Last weekend I was ministering at Engaged Church, Pastor Adrian Crawford, who some of you know, in Tallahassee, Florida. And uh, I was there worshiping with them and then and I was able to preach to two of their services that Sunday morning I did a podcast that afternoon I I spoke to their staff on Monday morning and and what I was able to do was God was allowing me to encourage them in a way that they could not get without our interrelational interconnectedness right? That as the body of Christ, God has created us in a unique way and he's doing different things throughout the body, throughout the world. And he allowed me to step into that moment in that part of the body of Christ and encourage them in a way that is uniquely who God has made me to be. And at the same time, as I sat in their staff meeting on Monday morning and they began to pray for me and and speak words of encouragement and prophetic words over my life and over this church life and, and all of you all, he began to encourage me, God that is, through that unique part of the body that was encouraging me. 
And at the same time, because God is the same all over through his body, here, Pastor Keevan was stepping into a role that God has called him to and empowered him to walk in and do something unique that God has created him to do to encourage you as the body. And that night, Pastor Robert and Carla, my wife, came and were leading in communion and prayer corporately and doing what God has gifted them to do. Every part of the body doing what it's called to do to encourage us to be the church that we've been called to be and I love when that happens so I was greatly encouraged that as I was there encouraging and being encouraged that I heard great reports of what God was doing here from morning to evening and Ephesians 4 describes it this way as we are all strengthened through our diverse callings and giftings in the way we serve one another. From Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's why we're better together. That's why we're called to be the body of Christ. And that's the only way that we operate the most healthily as Christians. So I was speaking to a brother in Christ this past week and I was able to say, listen, you can't dismember yourself from the body and expect to operate as a healthy member of the body. We don't get godly results from ungodly actions. Just doesn't work that way. So I'm encouraging you. Every supporting ligament doing its part, everybody doing their part, not just here in Evans, Tallahassee, but all over the world as God calls his body to work together. And when we do this, it is absolutely beautiful as well as just vibrant and diverse in every way God intended. None of this is possible, and I mean doing what God has called us to do together. It's not even remotely possible without what we're going to cover today in our ongoing series on the Apostles' Creed, where we are looking at these doctrines, if you will, these statements of faith given to us in a creed so that we can have the cliff notes of what we believe and why we believe it is important to know. Just because I can recite what I believe, it's important that I know why I believe what I believe. You and I as the church and the Apostles' Creed is that that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Today, we're going to look at the ascension of Christ. And the reason I say that we can't work properly as the body of Christ without this doctrinal truth, the ascension of Christ, is because the gospel possesses no present power without the ascension of Christ, Jesus, to the right hand of God the Father. So let's look at these comforting, assuring words to us as Christians today, believers in the church from the creed. It says this, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty. This is a part of the creed. Let me start out by giving you a biblical survey of the ascension. Luke 24, verse 51 through 53. While he blessed them, he Parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now, Mark 16, verse 19. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they, the disciples, went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. It's interesting, we'll come back to this. The Lord was working with them. Wait, I thought he just left. 
Acts 1, 8 through 9. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. There's so much in the affirmation of these truths concerning the ascension of Jesus Christ. But the main one is this. The main comfort is this. The main assurance is this. And what we grasp on and should be encouraging to us today is that Jesus, the Savior, reigns over all things. Now, maybe when you hear that, you're like, oh, that's really cool. But no, 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 this is the coolest of cool. This is the most important thing as it relates to our current situation right now in the life that you live right now in the difficulties that you go through right now and the circumstances that you'll face in your life today and for the rest of your life. The good news is, is that Jesus, the Savior, reigns over all things currently. This is the comfort of Christ's exaltation, that he was exalted at the right hand of Father above all things, and that nothing else could exalt themselves any higher than that. That's why we believe and pray that nothing would exalt themselves against the knowledge of the fact that this is who Christ is, and this is what he's done, and this is where he currently is. Jesus is our ascended Lord and he now has an exalted position at his Father's right hand where he is ruling over all things right now. Every power on earth, every king and every authority on earth, every power in the universe and the cosmos submits to the one who conquered the grave. Death could not hold him. He has no rival. No one compares, even comes close to him because he is the supreme authority over all things right now. His subsequent seating at the right hand of God emphasizes his present reign over all of the earth right now and his continuing works on behalf of all believers. That would include any of you who've given your life to Jesus Christ, his church. He has ascended, been exalted, coronated as the king of kings. And our current position right now today in Christ is because of his positional authority as ascended Lord over all right now. This is to give us confidence. I mean, when you think about who Christ is and where he is, this is to give us confidence in our life right now. Philippians 1.6, which is a verse that, that many people know. Maybe you know it. Maybe you've quoted it. Maybe you've got it up on your refrigerator or, or markered on your mirror like we do a lot of times. Not permanent marker, but a dry erase marker. Philippians 1.6 says, and I am sure of this. I am confident of this. I am assured of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Why is Paul assured of this? Why can we be confident of this? Because Christ ascended and is now ruling over all. We are confident in the ultimate outcome. It is a finished, done deal. It's already done. But yet, we still go through a lot of difficulty, right? Oh yeah, that's why we do series on laments and that's why we talk about the pain and the tribulations that we go through in this life. I like this analogy. As you can see over here, there's a, a chessboard, right? For those of you who don't know, this is a chessboard and this is chess. I learned how to play chess when I was in, I think about fourth or fifth grade. 
of something that we did uh, at school in the accelerated program. I'm just, just kidding. That was a long time ago. Who cares? Um, I, I don't play much anymore, but uh, maybe some of you do. Uh, There's a resurgence in interest in chess over the last year, thanks to the Netflix show Queen's Gambit, right? I mean, Queen's Gambit did for chess that, I don't know, Breakfast Club did for detention or something. I, uh, it's like you know, Karate Kid did for karate. It's like, yes, I want to play chess. And, and literally everybody in the office was playing chess. Like you're walking around and people are like, what are you doing? Making my move. Playing chess, Keevan, Keevan, I'm about to, I'm about to, I'm about to beat Keevan. I'm about to beat Jasmine. I'm about to beat Caleb. I mean, whoever it was, like, is everybody playing chess with each other right now? Maybe y'all did that too. I don't know, but it was a thing. It was a thing. But here's the analogy for us today, because in chess, there comes a point where the outcome is secure. Like, it's done. But there's one piece left, and the enemy just kind of keeps moving around back and forth, delaying the inevitable. My friends, this is exactly what the enemy does today. Moving around like a roaring lion, and I say like a roaring lion because he's not really a lion. There's only one lion. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah, so he's just like a lion. And he's moving around with our victory being assured, but the opponent delaying the inevitable. And as I've often said, we live in a world of pain and tragedy where lament is something that we do as we draw closer to God, but we still serve a God, and that's what we remind ourselves in those prayers, who is seated at God's right hand. We affirm that he is king over all, that Jesus has won the victory, and that's what his ascension tells us. But rebellion still continues. Pain and death still wreak havoc in our earth today. And until victory is concluded, Satan continues to move around and delay the inevitable. The Bible says that he's the prince of the power of the air, that he's the God of this age, and so he is exercising his right that God has given him the ability to do even now. But even though Jesus has assured victory on the cross, the devil is still moving around, but I want you to know that he's always in perpetual check. He can't just do whatever he wants to do. Why? Because Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. Who's that? Us. You and I today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 6 tells us that through the Holy Spirit, the church is restraining or keeping the complete fall of this world into a lawless, utter abyss. That we just have to keep positioning ourselves into the check position, if you will, affirming the rulership of Christ in our own lives and over all things, as well as the power of the Holy Spirit within us to be his church, the bride, his body, in the earth today, moving about as his spirit leads us, keeping the enemy in a constant state of check. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Let's unpack this scripture as it really defines it for us. He, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now just leave that scripture up there. God has rescued, liberated, saved, delivered us from the domain of darkness. That's what it says. Now, not just that, but he has transferred us to a present kingdom where he is the sovereign ruler of our hearts. 
Then it says redemption has come. What does that mean? It means Jesus has released us from captivity. He's delivered us from bondage. He has set us free from sin and death through purchasing us with his blood. And it says we have, not we will have or we had, we have means it's a present possession for us right now in whom we have redemption, and what else do we have right now? The literal sending away the forgiveness of our sins so there is now no more a barrier between us and God. This is the position that we are in because Christ ascended to his position right now. He has the checkmate accomplished. We just have to keep positioning ourselves under who Christ is in our life as he rules over and through us as the church to keep the enemy in check. I don't know what that does for you, but it kind of excites me and terrifies me all at the same time. That the present work of the body of Christ, the believers, the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is what's holding back evil, just having its way. Now again, this is possible because of what the ascension is affirming. We often hear about what Jesus has done, we often talk about what Jesus is going to do. He's going to come again. This is what he's done. We talk about what God has done. And, the, and a, remembering what God has done is a theme throughout the Bible. All the way to, as we said, through communion. We remember what Christ has done. We remember the great acts of God on behalf of his people. And we also think about and dwell on what is good and the hope that we have. The hope of glory, which is in the future in Christ forever. But what about what Jesus is currently doing? Yes, it's imperative to remember what Christ has done. It's imperative that we have a future hope. But as he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty presently, who is Jesus right now and what does it mean for the church today? What does it mean for you and I today that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty? Hebrews 7, 24, 27 gives us a glimpse. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. When he took our place on the cross, once for all. But do you see what verse 25 drops on us right there? Jesus, this is what he's doing. Jesus presently makes intercession for you and for me. Christ presently is making intercession because he ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father. He speaks to the Father on our behalf as our now great high priest. You want to know why we pray in the name of Jesus? This is why. It's not some magic word. It's not just something that we attach to the end of our prayers to get what we want. It's because Jesus is interceding for us right now. So because of that, we can approach God the Father and not be eviscerated with confidence through Jesus, our intercessor. Interceding, you say, well, what's, what's an intercessor? What does interceding mean? Very simply, interceding means a supplicant making an appeal to charity. 
Or if we make it more biblically understandable, we can say it this way. It is Jesus making an appeal to God's mercy on our behalf to give us what we don't deserve. And in this case, the one intervening has the sovereign right and the power to make requests and to take action in our best interest. Jesus has the sovereign right as he is intervening and interceding on our behalf. He has the power to make requests and take action in our best interest. That's why we often pray for, our glo- for your glory, God, and our good. Because when it is for God's glory, it is for our best interest and it will be good. You want to know why we are not hopeless? That we should never lack confidence when we come and pray to God? Because Jesus is praying for you personally right now. And the scripture says that he lives to do so. Like, has anybody ever said, man, I just live to do this. Like, I I live to to do this. I live to do this for you. Or some people, I live to go to this restaurant. Or I I live to do this hobby. I live for this person. We're supposed to live to give honor and praise and glory to God. And Jesus is saying right now, lives, loves to intercede on your behalf. That is crazy. But it's true. I love how the 19th century minister, Robert McMurray McShane, from the church in Scotland, if there's ever a Scottish name, that's it, said it this way, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet, distance makes no difference. He is praying for me right now. Distance makes no difference. I want you to know, church, Jesus is interceding for you right now. Have you ever accidentally snuck up on or started to overhear somebody praying for you that you knew loved you? Maybe it was your mom or your dad or your, one of your grandparents or maybe it was your child praying for you as a parent or a sibling or a friend, right? You, 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 you just, you know, maybe I, I should back out. This is a private moment. But at the same time, you kind of want to hang there and listen to the prayers that they're praying on your behalf because you know they love you. And this is what Jesus is doing on our behalf. I remember Carla telling me the story and Told it in the first, so she didn't get mad at me, so I'm assuming she gives me permission to tell it in the second. Okay, thumbs up. Just for reference, don't tell stories about people until you ask them. Um, yeah, so she uh, was in the hospital with her mother who was battling cancer at the time and um, was about to, you know, maybe a week or so away from dying, maybe a couple of days, I'm not sure, but... Um, and she has since passed, but uh, she was battling cancer. She was asleep, and she had a lot of, of uh, drugs that were kind of keeping her uh, pain-free for the moment. And Carla was sitting in the, the room with her, and they were watching the royal wedding at that point in time. That's when it was. And, and all of a sudden, as Carla's sitting there, her mom just starts to pray. And she just starts, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Help me with Carla. Oh gosh, Lord, she's so difficult. Help me, help me have patience with, with Carla. And Carla's like, Mama, I'm sitting right here. Wake up. It's a nightmare. Now that wasn't necessarily an encouraging prayer, except, you know, but 
That's not how Jesus is. Oh, I mean, maybe he is. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Help me with Brent. Help me to be patient with Brent. Oh, he's so difficult. He's so emotional. No, Jesus is interceding for you and I, and he lives to do so. Romans 8, Paul reminds us that we have supreme confidence in God's acceptance of us because of Christ, who died and rose again and then ascended to the Father's right hand, and he's interceding for us right now. And in the ongoing argument of Romans, the significance of Christ's death and resurrection is clear. His intercession can save us, as this scripture says a moment ago, to the uttermost. Why? Because his intercession is rooted in his own death and in his own resurrection. In other words, Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection are the foundation for Jesus' ongoing intercession on our behalf. Jesus pleads for us on the basis of who he is and what he has done, not on who we are or what good or bad we've ever done. Yeah, literally, thank God that's how Jesus intercedes for us. Not based on what I did or didn't do. Or how I responded or how I didn't respond. But he intercedes on our behalf based on what he did and who he is. Crying out to God for mercy. This is one of the amazing acts of, of mercy and grace of Jesus right now on our behalf. But then the second one is this, and it's just as jaw-dropping to me, is the gift that we receive because of Christ's ascension. And it is the gift of the Holy Spirit. That Christ said he would give us the Holy Spirit. We've already read this, but I'll read it again. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When Jesus ascended to heaven, here's what happened. He did not leave his disciples alone then or now. We're not alone. We're not doing this by ourselves. The ascension ushered in and secured the power of the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, his church, and to be a witness for him today. See, without the power of the Holy Spirit, Christians throughout every age would fail in our faith. I know I would. We would be completely defenseless against Satan's schemes and attacks. We will be completely ignorant of the word of God because the Holy Spirit is what illuminates God's word so that when we read it, we actually can understand something. And we would completely be confused and afraid, not truly understanding the assurance of our status as children, sons, and daughters of God without the Holy Spirit. Without Christ's ascension, the Holy Spirit could not come. And in some mysterious way, Jesus said this in John 16, 7, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us is greater, greater advantage to us than Jesus' physical presence. I don't get it, but that's what Jesus said, and that's the truth. And we have to recognize this, the significant connection between Christ's ascension and the ministry and the coming of the Holy Spirit through the people of God. Without the ascension, the Holy Spirit could not have come. And without the Holy Spirit, the gospel could not have gone forth and would not go forth right now. The church could not have survived and would not survive now. This is my constant plea. This is what I'm constantly crying out to God. Because of who you are, God, and where you are right now, Jesus, I need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be the church in the earth today. If you're not asking and crying out for the power of the Holy Spirit to be manifested in your life today, you will not survive. It won't happen. 
The church won't. Listen, we're not going to do what God's called us to do as a church without the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to do what God's called us to do in Evans, Georgia without the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to do what God's called us to do to be a, a unified body of Christ, diverse but one, without the power of the Holy Spirit. And I can't tell you how many times in my life, in ministry, since 2005, when I took over as the lead pastor of In Focus Church, that I have been questioned as to whether I even believe in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you something right now. If I didn't have the Holy Spirit operating and working in my life, I wouldn't be standing here. I'd be doing something else. Not because I want to, but because the only thing that keeps me doing what Christ has called me to do is the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus empowers us to be the church. And he did in Romans 8, tells us this, this is what Paul tells us, what Jesus did for us. Romans 6, or 8, 26 through 28. And we know verse 28, but 26 and 27 are vitally important to 28. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, here's what we all know, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. But it is impossible for verse 28 to happen without first verse 26 through 27 happening. And that is Jesus interceding on our behalf. It is impossible for the will of God to be positionally manifested in my life without Jesus taking the holy Google translate of my human prayers and positioning them, as verse 27 says, in a way that manifests God's will in my life. Because I don't know about you, but I don't always pray exactly as God probably would have me pray. I don't always have the exact words. I don't even know sometimes what to pray. But the Bible says Jesus does, and he always does, and he lives to help me out. He lives to help you out. The Holy Spirit is present and active, not just in the world around us, but in us personally. And we need this power to be the witnesses that he's called his children, the church, to be. Let's be honest. We live in a day and age right now that tempts us to want to quit this whole thing. To walk. To hide. Check. I've been there. To give up, been there. When we look at the news, when we gaze at social media longer than we gaze at the word of God, we see the pain and the injustice all around us. We see the division and the hatred, not just in the world around us, but in the church, the body of Christ as well. And in order to bring it closer to home, if we begin to dissect a little bit of our own betraying thought life, we realize how hopeless life can be. I'm there, like, how do we have a chance? How's this gonna work? 
we run to political parties, if we run to other places or institutions that devalue life and perpetuate death, hoping for some answers or power or help or solution, we quickly realize that our only hope for Romans 8.28 to actually come to pass and to take place is in Jesus Christ, the righteous one who died for our transgressions, was raised for our justification to intercede for us right now in this moment, while at the same time empowering us by giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses in the earth today. This is what I want to encourage you today. You, church, have been created by God and redeemed by Jesus for greater purposes than you can even imagine. Far greater than any temporary accolades or or things that we could accomplish in this life that the world might offer. God has something greater. God knows your deepest longings. He knows your deepest desires. He knows your deepest needs. And guess what? He is the only one who perfectly satisfies every single one of those desires and needs. And he's interceding on your behalf. He's praying for you right now. And he's with you always, Matthew 28 says, to the end of the age through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. And because of that, our lives are to be testimonies. Our lives, church, are supposed to give witness of the ascension of Christ and that because Christ has ascended, there's a present work of Jesus Christ today and it's through us. Like, do we believe Jesus ascended? The only way we believe it and anybody else believes it is through the present work of the Holy Spirit in us today. And because he's there, we're to operate this way. This should cause a holy discontent in us, really, about our own lives. I mean, are you ever like, God, this is, I'm just so tired of this in my life. God, I'm just so tired of that thought in my life. I'm just so tired of this action in my life. I'm so tired of doing this, whatever it is. There's a holy discontent about where I am. But there's also a holy discontent about where the church is. How long? Okay, well, there was an analogy that we had this, this week. We were praying is with the staff, or the men that get together, the guys, the pastors, whatever, all of us, some of us. And we pray every, every week on Thursday, 8 o'clock, talking about what are we going to pray about. And I just like, I just did pray. Here's my prayer. And this is it. It's like because of Christ's ascension and because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, I, as far as the church goes, I'm tired of going down like God's made us as a boat. This was kind of the analogy. We're a boat and he's called us to do so. He's created us to sail. He's created us to, to actually be seaworthy. And I feel like I spend all of my time going below deck and there's a rivet that's popped out and I've just got to stick my thumb in that one and stick my thumb in that one and defend against this and defend against that. And I'm tired of doing that. I want this ship to do what it was created to do because Christ descended and the Holy Spirit has filled his church and the church is supposed to be about his work. Here's the truth. I'm not yet where I will be, and I am not yet what I will be. Church, we're not yet where we will be, and we're not yet what we will be. But because of the ascension, the commission of Jesus, the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can be about God's work in the earth today as we progress towards where we will be one day with him in heaven and what we will be one day, and that is perfectly whole. If we go back to Acts 1, verse 10 through 11, and I'll draw this to a close, we see the disciples staring up in the sky, right? So Jesus just ascended, which would have 
probably been a pretty freaky thing to watch. He didn't go sideways. He didn't go down. He, he went up. So they're standing there going, what just happened? Where, where'd he go? I mean, who knows what their emotions were? Sorrow, wonder, awe, fear. I, I just kind of thinking from a human standpoint, probably think sorrow was the biggest thing just at that moment because Jesus was gone. And they didn't know what the power of the Holy Spirit was going to do. They had no idea. They just knew Jesus was gone. So they're standing there staring like any of us would have done. Like, now what? And it says two men clothed in white robes show up. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming back, like he said. He's going to do everything that he said he was going to do. But now you've got to go do what he told you to do. See, we cannot be those in the church that just stare at the sky, hold on for dear life, and wait for Christ to return. Often, we would rather witness the miraculous than witness of the miraculous. See, one draws a crowd to be spectators only, just to gaze at it. The other causes crowds to disperse and converts sinners to be disciples making disciples. Jesus was great at drawing a crowd, wasn't he? Doing the miracles and doing the miraculous and the crowds would show up. But he was also really good at making the crowds kind of ghost, disappear. When it got down to, okay, now it's your turn. We just came to watch. No, you came to go. And because I'm going to intercede on your behalf and I'm going to send you the gift of the Holy Spirit, you're going to have every power available to you to do what I have called you to do. Jesus has given us the commission. And before the ascension, he did that. That now we carry out because of the gift of his spirit that came after his ascension. That commission is to be a witness to the ends of the earth. So the angels bring comfort to these disciples by telling them, Jesus is returning just as he left. But in the meantime, go live the spirit-filled, transformed life as witnesses to a dying world that is desperate to know the good news of the gospel. Our lives should be bringing glory to God and we don't have the power to do that in our own strength. But in the Holy Spirit we do. So we live in his power and he is interceding on our behalf. And when we look up to what Christ has done, it's so that we can go look out for what Christ still wants us to do. He never intended for us to keep gazing at the sky. He never intended for us to keep gazing at what we've seen. Actually, this is what he said. I want you to go and tell everybody what you saw and what you heard. Don't just sit here and talk to me or just stare at, and, and be in awe or sad about what you saw. Go tell everybody else. Even Peter and the rest of them preaching. We've come to tell you what we've seen and what we've heard. Jesus Christ whom you've crucified, that is the Son of God. That's who he is. So be encouraged, church. If Jesus can save you, he can save anybody. No one is too far gone. No one is out of the limits of God's arm. 
Nothing and no one is too broken and too empty that God can't heal them and fill them with his spirit to be used for his glory and their good. No one. So let's go back to this cosmic chess game over here. We're walking in the victory that Christ died for as children of God. In the meantime, like I said, the enemy does his prowling, his delaying, like a lion, because he ain't a lion. Mufasa. Mufasa. The enemy moves, but he's just delaying until the inevitable happens. Let's think about it this way. Because Christ's ascension preserves and protects all the hopes and the promises of the gospel, death has been defeated. Check. Christ sits enthroned as king over all. Check. Christ has ushered in a new day of salvation for his people, the church. Check. Jesus commissioned the church to go into all the nations and to preach the gospel and to make disciples. Check. Jesus is with us always till the end of the age. Check. So we can be emboldened today. Jesus is interceding for us, his church. Check. The Holy One who paid the debt of our sin is enthroned over all the earth. Death cannot hold him in the grave. He rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, sits at the King of kings and the Lord of lords at the right hand of the Father. Christ accomplished and finished this work he currently rules and reigns over all who are his and will one day return just as he left culminating his victory and making all things right check mate you have been listening to the in focus church podcast we hope god met you right where you're at today Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.